This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Um, or this conclusion, this review into two parts, and this is the second part of it today. Um, and so we concluded last week with a glance into the opening section of our series of, of this, this, the opening of the second section of the whole series. Um, so if you turn to Romans chapter 1, uh, we shall um, have a look there because that will be a key text for today. Um, Romans chapter 1. So we're unlocking biblical truths about spirituality um, and So bear with me today. Um, I've had a bit of a bit of an unusual morning. Um, so had a had a strange sleep and have had a, a bit of a niggling headache that's kind of verging on a on a bit of a migraine. So, um, but we'll persevere and we'll get this done and we'll go home and put our feet up. So um, that'll be good. So we're looking at. The nature of true Christianity, and uh, in our second session, second section of it here, as as highlighted down here, freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin, and so we're we're talking about being able to live. Christians are able to live in a freedom from the results of the bonds of sin, and that's the sin that you and I have committed. We've committed sins. Or we've even had sins committed against us that have directly affected us in life. And when we come to Jesus, there is a promise of Scripture and a teaching of Scripture that you and I are made whole and that we're able to live our lives in such a manner that that exhibits this freedom from that carryover of sin. Now, this is a uh, comes under these words that we've been using, such as substantial. It is a substantial. Uh, healing that we experience this side of glory and if you think about personality traits that you have you will know that there is in your life carryover from the sin of the past and that's that is uh, a, a fact so there are uh, pre- prerequisites to experiencing this present freedom from the results of the bonds of sin. This is not sinless perfection, but let's um, just quickly recap on these. We mentioned these last week. These two prerequisites for present freedom. The first is that we are born again. All right? The scripture says that those that sin are slaves of sin. So in order for us to experience a present freedom, we must be firstly born again And then secondly, we must be acting upon the biblical teachings concerning that freedom. What does scripture say about living in freedom? What does it say about the power of God's spirit in our lives? And so we should live accordingly. And so this is, um, uh, these are the two prerequisites for a true sense of being able to live presently. Free from the results of being in bondage to sin prior to knowing Christ. That's, that's what your life was. Alright? You were in bondage to sin before Christ. And in Christ, 
you have the possibility of walking in victory over sin. It's not something that is just handed to you. You don't just walk in victory over sin, but it's something whereby once we're born again, we start living a a true appropriation of scriptural command and scriptural promise. We start living that and thus we start living, uh, walking in a life of victory. Does, Does that make sense? So, God means us to have, as one of his gifts in this, in this life, freedom from the false, condemning tyranny of conscience. Alright? This is, this is a real malady. M-A-L-A-D-Y, malady. Alright? It's a real problem in the human condition, that tyranny of conscience from sins committed that we've committed in the past. So the idea that we can just be like the average Aussie and go, she'll be right, mate, and and just move past the effect of sin without uh, without dealing with it is wrong. So the sin is dealt with in Christ, but you and I know that just because we came to that point in the Christian life where we were converted, that memories and effects of the past have not necessarily gone away. Some of you, um, you know, my, my childhood was a relatively innocent country childhood, parents both working, and they were pretty stable folk and, and they weren't prone to outrageous outbursts of anger. It was a, you know... It was a pretty good childhood, i got to say. And um, some people have not grown up in those circumstances. I have heard many, 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 far too many stories of people's childhoods. Um, and it is the kind of thing that is, is so distressing to hear. The suffering and the pain and the abuse that they went through you can't expect that you will come to Christ and not have effect of that. And that's sin inflicted by someone else, not to mention our own sin. That's what we're talking about. The cross is this point at which everything begins to change when you and I come to that place of repentance. But from that point, it is about you and I then living the in obedience to the word of God and appropriating those promises Correctly, So therefore, we're able to say there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is a phenomenal verse of Scripture. And so if you're born again, and if you are living in condemnation of past sins committed, know that that sin is dealt with truly in Jesus Christ. It truly is dealt with. The true guilt is gone. Now the freedom from conscience will be then about walking in obedience to what Scripture says. And there may be uh, apologies to be made for actions that you've committed in life, for sins that you've committed in life. So... Um, this is a fantastic verse and it shouldn't just be a um, uh, uh, some sort of just just a memory verse for the sake of having a memory verse. This should be a verse, a, a verse that believers are able to take and hold on to and know that you are not condemned in Christ Jesus. This is a living reality. 
We are not condemned. There is how how many condemnations? None. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the conscience, though, can plague us. And that becomes a different issue in regards to how we live the Christian life. Now, let's move on. And you've got Romans 1 open. (coughs) Got this thing going on in the throat as well. So, falling apart today. The established order of Romans chapter 1 we talked about, and so we'll read a number of verses here as we go through. And this is really important because this lays foundation into our lives regarding freedom in the thought life. And we had to establish this order because this this helps us to understand that man without Christ is trapped in this kind of cycle of thinking. Man without the Messiah in his life does not have uh, liberation from this cycle. So the established order of Romans 1 is that God is not hidden from his creation. How many times has someone said to you, oh, if God is real, why doesn't he show himself to me? Now, if people understood the depth of that question, they might ask that with fear and trembling. They might turn it around to say, if God is real, I hope he does not reveal himself to me in that sense, the sense, the arrogant sense that I'm asking it. The unbelieving arrogant sense. So Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and uh, through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. We are the creation of God, aren't we? And we've talked about that a lot, that as the creation of God, we are made in his image and likeness as God wanted and reflecting characteristics of God, especially those characteristics of rationalizing, of reasoning things and of of thinking and, and of being moved emotionally by circumstances. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You and I are very much like this, even in human relationships, when you think about people, maybe you think about your uh, your father who may have passed away, it's not so much his face that comes to mind, it'll be attributes about that person that come to mind. And those attributes come from within the person. They're not dictated by the external at all. The external is of almost zero consequence. And so it is with God that his invisible attributes, those things that make God who he is, are clearly seen throughout the world and being, and are seen in his creation. So we can look at the creation of man and we can know that God is a thinking, a reasoning, a rational and even an emotional personality. That God exists uh, and that God is, we can know because there's a moral code within us that God is a God of morality. Now, looking at humans does not tell us everything about God or otherwise the whole world would be converted at a glance. But it tells us many things about the Creator. 
as opposed to the whole idea of random chance of evolution. So, verse 21, they knew God, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, those who who know and who understand of the presence of God and turn away. But but the important thing in this verse is not about speculation and stuff. It's about where the result happens. Where does the result happen to these people who did not glorify God as God? What's that? Their hearts were darkened and they became futile in their thoughts. Now, when you say, see the phrase, their hearts were darkened, this is not saying they've got a literally a black heart, right? Uh, as if it's been bruised in some way. It's saying the faculty of, of cognition, of understanding, of reasoning and of emoting things, these faculties have been darkened. So the biblical understanding of heart is about the inner person and the inner person is that realm of reasoning, thinking, emoting things, right? So it's all that realm of of the inner man. And so the immediate impact of those who know God is God but deny Him is that they become futile in their thinking and their their inner person becomes darkened, right? Right? Uh, in the world of thoughts and emotion, etc., etc., reasoning, the whole thing. It's no wonder today this world has a rise in epidemic proportions of mental illness. I love the the present satirical meme getting around the internet where uh, where the parents are helping their six-year-old son to... It, it's only a joke. It's only a joke. They're helping their six-year-old son to transition into a teenage mutant turtle. And and I just love that because it's so deadly accurate. Why not? Why can't that be? Why can't that be? If a six-year-old boy can say to his parents that I think I'm a girl and the parents are insane enough to support that thinking and help him transition into that girl, then why can't he transition into a rabbit? Peter Rabbit, in fact, who is, is even just a cartoon character, right? Or Superman. Why can't he transition into anything he thinks he is or wants to be? It's because it is insane. That's why he can't do it. It's insane. And so a boy can't transition into a girl. They can go through the whole process externally, but Caitlyn Jenner is still Bruce Jenner in a different, um, with a different name. The insane thing is that, that, uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, formerly an Olympic athlete, man, like six foot three or four, something, like a very athletic man, gold medalist. Right? This is the top of the class in the, in the alpha male spectrum of things as far as the masculinity and, and athleticism goes. Transitions to a, be a woman and is now in a relationship with a former man who's transitioned to be a woman. Like, like, like this is just insane. It is sane. They, they knew God. They denied him and went insane. Yeah. 
That's what Romans 1.21 says. That's what it's pointing to. Let's move on. They professed their own wisdom. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became as fools. Uh, reading on to 24, we'll go down through 23 and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. Now, remember, their hearts are now darkened. The inner man is darkened and now God is giving them up to follow those lusts. Right? They gave them up to the lust of their own hearts, uh, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. They worshipped Mother Earth. They worshipped the animals. They made statues and idols and they followed uh, the teachings of the Attenboroughs of the day, uh, deifying the creation over the Creator. They also deified the creation over the Creator, as we just said in verse 23. It's kind of stuck in the middle there. So this is where the professing of their own wisdom leads them to. So the established order of Romans 1 is that ideas are followed by outward results. What happens in the inner man affects that person outwardly. You can see that case in point we just mentioned. A star athlete, now male, formerly, now posing as a woman in life, pretending to be. Name change. Time magazine called him her woman of the year. That's an insult to all you women. And and you should write to Time magazine, or you should have back then. It's probably a little bit... Horse has already bolted. But on these things, concerning women athletics especially, you should write all the time to these governing boards and just say that you're disgusted with the whole thing. Switch off to the Olympics if they're going to go down this track of putting men who've transitioned to women into weightlifting and destroy all the work that women have done throughout history into athletically and the amazing achievements they've made and destroy that because of the vanity of a bunch of insane people. So the external follows the internal. This is the established order of Romans 1. The external is a product of the internal. Corrupted heart will produce a corrupted life. That's what it says. That's where we got up to. And uh, boy, what a fantastic uh, little breakdown in really simple point form there. And this is a great thought for us to bear in mind. The ideas of the thought life are followed by outward results or otherwise expressed in these two statements. So what what is happening on the inside of a person is going to be revealed sooner or later externally. So we can't always read the internal. But Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the external is being produced from the internal. So we we must remember that. Freedom now from the results of the bonds of sin. We're continuing with that. Um, let's keep moving here. So since the fall... There is no truly healthy person in body or in psychology, in in mind. 
you and I have all got issues in one way or the other. Some more than others. That's just true. That's just true, right? Some of us are more jaded than others, you know? And uh, and so the, re- the result of the fall is that we're spoiled, each one of us, spoiled as in damaged. So it spoils each of us as a as a unit and even in our parts our our um, you know so if we individually are damaged we corporately are damaged we physically are damaged this is the result of the fall and in order for us to have healing emotionally and psycholo- psychologically um, we need to understand that we're not going to experience a full and total healing, this side of glory, right? Salvation, glory, in between time, sanctification, in between time, growth in holiness over time, the X, Y graph, all that kind of stuff. So between those points, we are growing, but we're not, we're not there yet. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. I can promise you. So, with this, we have spoken about this, that the work of Christ at the cross covers all our true guilt. That feelings of guilt that remain are part of, as it's been phrased, the awful miseries this side of glory, which is a, I think I've got all the quote marks in the wrong spots there. Um, what a great description. The awful miseries this side of glory. So, feelings of guilt. Why would we separate those from guilt? Well, our true guilt has been dealt with in Christ at the cross. So we may still have feelings of guilt though, and they may be legitimate. It might be a prompting of the Holy Spirit to cause you to go back and try to make that right. Right? To try and make that right. Oh, the person's dead then. Well, there's nothing you can do. You must let it go. Oh, but my my sister hates me because of the way I was with my father. Then then try to make it right with her. You know, this is where these things are lingering in this world because we're all damaged. That's that's the reality of it. Now, these stem, these feelings of guilt stem from our own actions. They stem from the history of the fall. They're common to the human race, and we add to them with our own actions and things that we do in life. So. Understanding this is vital for freedom from the results of the bonds of sin and substantial healing of our deeply damaged psychology. Oh no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just everybody else. They've got problems. I'm doing okay. Well see, you're not seeing the elevated personality issues that you have Right now, they might be called 
from the scriptural viewpoint, that might be just called pride, you know? So, you know, a false humility is also an issue that many people have, you know, where they they display a false sense of humility to people so that they'll get a pat on the back from people because they want the applause of people. They want, they want people to lift them up publicly and say, no, no, you, you're really good at this. You can do this. You know, oh, shucks. Oh, gee. You know, do you think so? Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, you can, you can. It's a false humility. This is a damaged psychology. But there are far worse issues than those, and we know that. You know, I'm just trying to show you that that we're all damaged in some way. So we can be from one end of the spectrum to the other on things. We can be severely damaged or we can think we're nearly okay. But actually, God will bring things to the surface for us to deal with. So um, a substantial healing of the total person is uh, in recent weeks we looked at that. Remember, we described, we described God as a, as a unit of personality. In other words, just as the Trinitarian, oh man, sorry, Trinitarian statements say that God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in three persons. So when I use the, the term the person of God, I'm not saying that God, you know, a Mormon idea that as we are, People, God once was. I'm not saying that at all. God is eternally God, the Father, the person of God, right? The Son, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, the person of God. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit with attributes of personality and character, of being able to be grieved, of being joyed by things. So, when we talk of substantial healing of the total person, we need to understand that a person... What identifies you and I, is, aside from the physical, is the inner person of who we are and that becomes identifiable to others because we think, act and feel and we respond accordingly. So this is, this is important for us to grasp that the inner person of who you are is really the person we each engage with. Okay, And that's what we really know each other by. Okay, so when we're grumpy on the outside, it's a reflection on the inside. When we're happy on the outside, it's a reflection of the inside. When we say kind things, it's revealing the kindness of, of a, a heart that's been, that's been, uh, able to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? These kinds of things. So, God, the reason why we're like this is because God is like that. God, thinks, acts, and feels. Scripture speaks of him being grieved, being angered, being love, uh, or demonstrating love, showing love, of being moved. So truth is not just an abstract truth concerning what we are as people. Now, this is what we, we must remember, though, that until glory, all healing will be incomplete. Oh, no, I believe in total healing. So do I. Can't wait till I get it in glory. You know, um, maybe this migraine is from um, 
shoveling and moving uh, about 50 wheelbarrows of um, uh, crushed rock, of garden soil, um, you know, is self-inflicted. That's, there's a good chance of that. Um, the aching up and down the neck uh, by the end of the day yesterday, there's a fairly good chance that that's where it's, where it's come from. Just uh, the, our bodies are, you know, not as young as they used to be. And uh, we're falling apart, you know. There are things, I mean, if we had total healing, this side of glory, these aging things would not happen. We wouldn't actually age if you thought about it carefully. But anyway, you wouldn't die because death is really an ultimate, ultimate expression of sickness. You know, sickness and death that's upon us. So, you know, until glory, all healing is going to be incomplete. Humanism, though, this is where we, we have to be careful, is that humanistic messages have taught us as mankind to overly value our importance in the world. This sense or this feeling that we, you know, the centre of our own universe, so to speak. And in some ways you can't help that, because that, that's where you see everything from isn't it? But how scripture talks to us to overcome that sense of self-importance is to prefer others before ourselves. And it's so simple. You know, when, like this is really simple. It's so overly simple that it almost seems insulting sometimes. When you're marching to a door next to someone, Step out in front and get that door and open it for them. And just do that. You'd be surprised by the little thank you you get anyway. That's that's always a nice thing. Um, unless you're a man and you open the door for a woman and then you get an insult. You know, don't insult me. Don't you think I can open it myself? <laughs> so, no, it doesn't happen with, with all women, thankfully. Some, there are many sane ones who haven't bought into these lies, these humanistic lies, you know. So... But it's a really, it's really that simple is that if we take steps, very simple steps to prefer others before ourselves, then we will help to knock down this sense of the prime importance of self because it's a very dangerous thing. A cry for equality, we mentioned, is, is often actually a, uh, maybe not a cry, to be better than others, but maybe more a declaration that I am better. And um, if there is anything that the the pride marches have been built around and the this push of the alphabet community um, is that it's built around this idea that that actually they don't see us as their equal. They do not they see it like this, especially for Christians. You know, and I've told you about that workmate of mine who, when I was moving to another office, uh, gave me a hug. Uh, she's a, a lesbian lady. She gave me a hug. She wished me well, and she said, "You, I'm so confused by you because I thought you Christians were supposed to hate us, and and stuff." And you know, that was that was a really amazing moment um, because. She had been in a lot of confusion about it, the fact that I would not disregard her and that I would not talk to her 
in a nasty way or or say things that she expected because she she's been indoctrinated by the alphabet community in their meetings and their communiques that they send out to one another. Philippians 2 verse 5 gives us the injunction, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I've got that up there. And what was that mind that was in Christ Jesus essentially? Essentially. Being in the form of God, consider it not robbery to be with God. Here was true equality. God the Father, God the Son. Right? But made himself of no reputation. This is the opposite to the humanistic messages. After all, as one bank said, you're the most important person. You know? This is the opposite message. Humanism is constantly putting this message out to us. Scripture says, the God of all eternity made himself of no reputation. This is the mind. Paul, like this passage, Philippians 2, 5 through, I think about verse 10 or 11, this is a passage to really spend some time meditating on. Because this is where you can get the direction for your heart in life. So, made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. Not just a servant, but a bondservant. That's even lower. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. There's the mentality we are supposed to have I am not the center of the universe, and neither are you. Right? That's what you should be saying. I'm not the center of the universe. Jesus is, and he led by example to show me that he would make himself of no reputation to serve people even to the point of dying on a cross. Okay? There's, there's where the beginning of substantial psychological healing begins is to put ourselves aside from our own agenda. Let's move on. So, man is made in the image of God. He has qualities of rationality and morality. And this means that people are responsible for their behavior. Uh, I mean, this victim mentality that is around today, you know... It's it's gonna it is going to come into the church this kind of thing because it is so prominent in the community in this this whole victim mentality and 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 I mean look around the room we're mostly we're mostly dare I say it white people I mean we're the curse of the world at the moment we've brought all of our harm and shameful you know shamefulness of the um, uh, industrial revolution and electrification and sanitation and health developments around the world. It's just, it's a terrible, shameful history that we have. And, and everyone who's suffering, they've been victimized by us. Right? Well, this is a lie. It is a total lie because I'm, I'm actually, I don't know if you know this, but you're not actually responsible for even what your father did. Right? Let alone what your great, 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 great grandfathers and, and great, 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 great grandfathers did. I mean, they may have done some terrible things, but you can't apologize for that because you didn't do it. 
It's that simple. And if people have a victim mentality that is urging us somehow to apologize for the wrongful treatment of other people in generations past, you can't do that. It's a cheap apology. It's not real. It's not sincere. But we can make right what we're doing today. So if we as a people today are harmfully treating other people, let's stop it. Let's just stop it. Let's make it right and move on from there. Let's take responsibility for our lives. But if you're sitting around going through life thinking that, oh, my my people were so persecuted for generations and now we've got an inbuilt victim mentality, we can never achieve anything. It's just terrible. We're, we're hopelessly doomed by by generations of 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 being downcast and and trodden down upon that's a lie and it leads to hopelessness that's all it does so man's basic psychological problems summarized are that we try to be what we are not we try to carry what we cannot And that is a big issue. And we're just simply unwilling to be content as God has made us be. I battle with this sometimes. There's lots of things in life that I wish, you know, I I wish God had, um, you know, maybe um, raised me in a family with much more financial background. You know, a much stronger family. a base there for a bit of nice inheritance just so I'd love to retire right now you know that'd, that'd be great but it's not the case it's not the case you know and it's probably a good thing because um, it wouldn't be good for me psychologically <coughs> working is good for people so these types of behaviours though trying to be what we're not trying to carry what we cannot and unwilling to be content, um, they damage people in our psychology. And uh, this, is, this is really an important issue. So let's, let's move on um, because I just all these things I just want to talk about more, but we've raved on about them enough, or I have anyway. Now, the gospel speaks concerning rational answers and human behavior, firstly. The gospel is not irrational. People will say, oh yeah, you believe, you know, X, Y, Z and you've trusted it by this blind leap of faith. It's, it's actually not a blind leap of faith. It is faith. I don't think scripture describes it as being a leap of faith, like you've stood on the edge of a cliff and you've just closed your eyes and someone's going to catch me, you know. It's, it's, It's not that. You've made a knowledgeable decision in the gospel to place your faith in God. It's not at all like that. You've actually looked down and said, man, there's a safety net. I'm doing this. You know, this answers many questions. So, the gospel speaks concerning these things and concerning the psychological consequences of the fall, it it doesn't use the word psychology. And psychology in and of itself is not an evil word and it's not even an evil practice. Some forms of psychology 
are and some of the deductions that come out of psychology are, mostly because of the inventors <coughs> of those forms and practices were themselves um, people who functioning with a certain agenda. And so if you um, studied or, or read anything about Alfred Kinsey and uh, his research into sexuality and stuff, the guy was a pervert through and through. Uh, he was abusive to his wife. He was abusive to children, sexually abusive, in studies that he did. Not, not just abusing them because he was kinked, but he made a scientific study out of it, right? And it's something that, that is, it, it's dis- disgraceful. So, in terms of the psychological conclusions he drew, those conclusions are kinked because he was kinked. Maybe it should have been Alfred Kinky rather than Kinsey. So, the gospel is the answer. You know, the gospel is the answer. That is the truth this morning. So a truly integrated life. Remember we talked about false integration points and a false integration point is, oh, you know, you're going through a bit of a slump in life. This is the midlife crisis to a T, right? You're just going through, life's been hard and you're going through this period. Suddenly um, there's a bit more cash flowing. I think I'd look good in that Mustang. Everyone's getting one, Right? I mean, it's true, isn't it? You would look good. Well, you look better. Maybe not look good, but you look better in that Mustang, right? But it's it's a psychological um, game that you're playing because it's about that. Right at the moment, I'm not very satisfied with things. If I have that, I'll be satisfied, and that's what we call a false integration point, right? That we're looking to that thing to give us something. It's not designed to give us. God gives us true happiness. Happiness is not wrong, right? God gives us true joy. We also get an experience of sadness in life, don't we? Which comes also out of life and we could say that God gives that to us through the circumstances of life and the results of of sin. where Somebody passes away, we grieve and we sorrow over that. It's part of life, right? So, a truly integrated life understands the reality of the blood of Christ. Christ's blood is sufficient, right? At the cross, what did he declare? It's finished, right? Phil puts out an invoice to his customer and they pay him for it and maybe he sends off the the receipt or whatever and... I don't know, it'd be, be a good stamp to have on there, Phil, paid in full, you know. That's what it means, paid in full. The blood of Christ, paid in full. It's, it's You know, that's got to be an exciting thing to see when you've worked on paying something off over a number of years and then to get that final statement that says paid in full, you know. Paid in full. A truly integrated life lives moment by moment through faith in Christ. It's not that that this moment we're having faith in Christ and next moment we're not. It's that each moment I keep my trust in him and I walk in obedience to him in that moment. Because you something's going to happen and all of a sudden you're going to be tested. And it's that moment that you're to put your faith in Jesus. Can I say, Lyme, that when you get that payment, it says pay in full, you didn't pay it though. 
Mm. So when you've got a, a receipt that says yes. paid in full, you think, I haven't paid it. That's a really good point, bro. Yes. Mm. Paid in full by someone else. Yeah. Yep. A truly integrated life learns to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. This comes down to the intimacy of your life day by day, living and walking in the scriptures and in prayer. And in this lifestyle is peace and rest because we'll only ever be burdened with what the Lord supplies and he will, with that, those burdens give you strength to bear them. And that's part of his plan for your life in growing. So this is learning to live by casting our cares upon him. And we also mentioned about uh, living in relationship with a living God that you know, the, the last thing we want to do is just live a sterile social Christianity where we just meet at church on a Sunday and the rest of the week we have no thoughts of God, no thoughts of his word, no time for prayer and then we come back to church next Sunday and make ourselves feel holy. That's not the Christian life. We're talking about living in a relationship with God and in service we offer ourselves to God who loves us as the Father. There's a truly integrated life there in the way we live and move in him. So, we also talked about healing in personal relationships. Now, Chris last week converted all this to a PDF file, so if you want it, we can email it to you. Um, This is a huge area. Christianity provides clarity in intellectual answers, and provides answers for human relational problems. And though necessary, orthodox beliefs are insufficient. They must be accompanied with orthodox practice. We don't just want to be a bunch of people who tick and flick a statement of faith. We want to live what we believe. Amen? Orthodoxy is Christian belief. Ortho means straight, and doxy is the teachings so straight teaching, um, and uh, so you go to an orthodontist who straightens your um, teeth, puts braces on them and makes them go straight, right? So um, orthopraxy is correct practices, or we can say straight practices, correct practices. And there's a, another word um, which in Christian terms has this Meaning, it's used in other ways. Orthopathy, meaning correct affection. Now, um, this, this is important because Christianity can't provide for people the option to choose sinful behaviours and just put it under a label, right? So, for example, um, girl meets boy, falls in love and um, they girl a girl is a professing Christian he's kind of a Christian you know you know what I mean the kind of in out of the Christian circles kind of thing but they're so in love and they tell everyone we're in love the Lord is in this relationship because that's what people do who enter into that kind of relationship is they have to sell it to you so that you'll embrace it and support it. 
And then next thing, we're married in God's eyes and that's why we've moved in together and these kinds of things. This is an incorrect affection that's taking place. I have a dear brother who uh, has a, a daughter who loves Jesus, loves Jesus. She She's in her mid-twenties and uh, she's a, a wonderful uh, young lady, um, has a relationship with a guy who is also a Christian and he's, he's born again, he's relatively new, but they are in two very different churches and he is so disrespectful of her father, right, in the way that he treats him because he, his church is a little bit um, exclusive in some ways and he doesn't regard him uh, theologically. And he's very disrespectful to him. And, um, uh, you know, it's caused some tension. And, I mean, this is this is a close-knit, loving family, um, you know, and, and he's a wonderful leader of men, uh, this this man, and, a, and just a really... So, you know, we've been... I've been praying for them for this thing. He's a believer, genuine believer, and so is she. But this is like an unequal yoking. And, and it's revealing a little bit of a wrong affection there, where he's coming before what should be right in that situation, you know? So it can, it can be very nuanced, this kind of idea. That's the popular word of the generation. Um, this, this idea of orthopathy, these correct affections. It's very easy to, you know, see the black and white things of what we should and shouldn't love. But it gets hard sometimes when we're tangled up emotionally in something where deep down the Holy Spirit is convicting us that this isn't right, but we're tied in emotionally to it, you know, and that becomes an issue. And this is where human relationships can really suffer as a result. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Well, Christian marriages should demonstrate Satan's defeat by being a place where there is an expression of joy and beauty. We should have done a series of sermons on that statement there. Just just on this, that's what we should do, is a series of sermons on how our marriages should demonstrate Satan's defeat. I, there's a really, there's a great idea, isn't it? Right there. If love and communication are not present in a marriage, how can there be the next level of love and communication between parent and child? And this this can be a real issue for ladies, right? This issue. The loving communication isn't there. The baby comes along and the mother then throws everything into that child because the loving communication is not there with the husband and throws everything into it, you know. And it's overdone then to to make up for what is lacking here. And that's very common. It happens often. It happens in unsafe families. It shouldn't happen in safe families. Not like that. Family relationships are centered on that which is personal. Remember, God is a personal God. And human relationships are personal relationships. They're the engagement or interaction of one personality with another. 
of people who think, act and feel. And with the addition of a child in the home, love and communication take on profound diversity. Just getting in touch with my American self there. Profound diversity. You know, so... That's that's what should happen. Like children into the marriage, it changes things. But that's right. That's how it should be. And that that chain of command that God has put, or umbrella of protection, in fact, that God has put over the children as they come into the family, where they can be nurtured and 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 brought along. This is a wonderful ex- place of expression for the gospel within the family. So I'm, I've got to keep moving, so I know some of you are taking notes, but I'm sorry. You, I can put it back on the slideshow or email the slideshow to you if you want. So, substantial healing in the church. We're getting toward the, the final end here. Liberal theologians remove distinctions between the saved and the unsaved, and they, you know, if, you, if you've grown up in a church, you're a Christian, you know. Um, in fact... I've uh, been out witnessing and I, I've, I remember distinctly on one occasion asking a guy if he was a, um, a Christian, he was a South African Lutheran fellow and, uh, and his response to me was, no, I'm a Lutheran. You know, that's a problem. I mean, historically, a profoundly deep Christian church with, with roots in wonderful revival and yet go down some hundreds of years and generations, and then you get this kind of response. Are you a Christian? No, I'm a Lutheran. And that happens with with many people. And I'm sure if you've been out evangelizing, you've had similar experiences. But this kind of um, lifestyle often leads to worldliness in the church. Uh, when people embrace those kinds of theologies, oh, I was born a Christian. Uh, sorry, i got news for you. To be a Christian, you must be born again. So therefore, you can't have been born a Christian. What do you mean, be born again? This is how how steeped people are in religion and how uh, um, unknowing they are without knowledge regarding the truth of the gospel message itself. So, what then should the church consciously be? And um, this is a, an important question. But... Simply, the church should be that kind of place that encourages its members in the true Christian life. That's what we should be. Um, do we need a church program that re- repairs the facility we're hiring as a gift to the city of Casey? I don't, I don't know. Maybe we do. You know, um, that, that's possible. You know, you hear of many um, churches, local communities where they where they raise some funds and help the local primary schools or whatever it might be. Those kinds of things, I don't have a problem with that. But those are the works, the outworkings of the Christian life. And, and when it comes down to the works of your life, those can be things that aren't necessarily a program from the church. You don't need a program from the church to live the true Christian life. To express it. And so, in terms of true spirituality then, what should the church encourage? Freedom. The church should encourage a true sense of freedom in your life. Christian teaching should teach you how to be free from the bonds of sin. And how to live in victory over it. How to 
experience freedom in this present life from the results of the bonds of sin. That's what it should do and to encourage substantial healing in your life. Remember this broken down, this disorder within ourselves that we have and amongst our um, uh, fellow brethren. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. I'll, I'll leave the computer on. You can come and flick to your heart's content. Remember we talked about the perfect church and um, we read all these things out. No one sings in tune. Children are seen, not heard. Pastor knows it all. Um, never have a bad hair day. The most perfect church in town. We talked about that. And um, uh, the facts are that just because we've come along to church this morning, we're not a perfect church. right? Church should teach the truth. The church should teach a practice of the presence of God and practice the reality of exhibiting God's nature, his character to the world around us. That's what we're... We should be encouraging each other. And I don't just mean from here out. I mean from here out to each other. That's the Ephesians 4 model that the elders bring some doctrinal teaching and and this kind of stuff in order to help the saints to mature so that they can edify one another. That's the, the biblical pattern of it. So faith is really only taught by exhibition. And if our faith um, doesn't teach that, it's broken down. So I'm going to keep going through those there move on that was all what I just said Um, you can come and photo it's 56 minutes and I'm determined to finish these two slides so we we must function on the basis of the finished work of Christ and not any perceived value in ourselves prefer others before self right in terms of practices as a Christian I reckon that one is a big one. It's a big one because it's often a hard one. But it's simple. And man, it it would just do you so much good to put someone else ahead of you. Whatever it might be. You know, we've had um, uh, visitors come to church and I don't know them, so I don't know anything about them. So I'll try and make them a coffee or a tea or whatever. No, no, let me get it. I'll get it for you. And they're chatting with someone or whatever. Um, it's just a it's just a good thing for us to do. It's not about trying to show the church that I serve. It's about preferring someone else before yourself. You know, if 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 it were that case of trying to show the church, um, yeah, let's not get distracted. I'll get on a rant. I'm going get to get on a rant about setting up church. So. The church corporately grieves the Holy Spirit when we do not heed his present work among the members. The Holy Spirit is the one by whom you and I are joined in relationship with each other and the Holy Spirit gifts you for the body of Christ. Not just for this church, for the body of Christ. He gifts you to the church. He he actually gives you as a gift to the church for service. Not just the local church, for the body of Christ. That's, that's That's a point we didn't actually talk much about. 
Um, so this is an important point. Um, true biblical unity and healed relationships are only possible as the church maintains Christ as its principal and ultimate focus. Whenever you see churches that are being pulled apart by strife and division, there's people focused on themselves there in that situation. And they're not putting Jesus and the Word ahead of their own desires, but instead they're trying to pull the church in certain directions. So the alternative to perfect church is not no church. That's, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Rather than that, it is in the absence of present perfection. Anyone here presently perfect? Pretty close, yeah. But not presently perfect. No. Anyone here presently perfect? I don't want to wave my hand. I'm sort of demonstrating like you can put your hand up if you are. Right. Anyone here presently imperfect? Be brave. Put it up. Feel liberated. You know, right? In the absence of this perfection, we're here to help each other to growth and healing on the basis of the finished work of Christ. It's, it's not about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us corporately as a body of Christ, edifying and lifting up each other. You know, um, and you know. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to puff up people in front of people, but but there are some times in life that there are people who who just surprise you, you know, with their generosity and um, their givingness of heart that they have, you know, where where they just kind of gift themselves to those around them and help them and bless them. And as time goes by, you just admire and respect and love those people more and more because you see that over the long haul there's been a genuineness to that person's real display of love over a long period of time, you know. And... You know, I shouldn't say something like this, but, you know, Mark is one of those guys. You know, Mark is one of those guys who just just quietly goes on with things in life and um, always does stuff to help people and looks around for ways that he can help and bless. And uh, makes me feel ashamed sometimes, actually, with his givingness that he has. This is the nature of true Christianity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.